Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Hey, my name is Jeremy Sims. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be a part of this series, Everyday Prayer, with you this, uh, this summer, this summer series, which is, uh, I was thinking about it, I think we've done a summer series where we did a deep dive into a book for over 10 years now, which is really cool. So if you're following with us and been reading the book of Psalms with us this summer, uh, that's what I'll be preaching on. Before I do that, I do want to mention a couple things. One tonight is Soak. And uh, Soak is, for those of you that don't know, if you've never participated with us at Soak, uh, it is an in-person experience only, but it is um, 10 years ago this year, Pastor Jay got with us and we began to dream up this idea of getting together as a church body and hearing the direction of God for our church together and worshiping and praying together. And that's what it is. It's worship and it's prayer. And so I'd like to invite you to that tonight. It's at 530 right here. Um, and then secondly, we have a water baptism coming up on August the 7th. You have seen and probably will see if you're following us uh, on uh, Facebook, Facebook community, uh, you'll see pictures about VBS. So maybe you have a child that, uh, that gave their heart to Jesus at Vacation Bible School this week. Perfect time for them to be baptized is coming up August the 7th on a Sunday morning. So love for you to be a part of that. So like I mentioned before, it's my privilege that I get to continue our series we're calling everyday prayer, and the reason we're calling it everyday prayer is because the book of Psalms is exactly that. It's a prayer book. It's a book that was basically given by God to men and women for us to know how to pray, for us to learn how to pray, for us to gauge our prayers and hold our prayers up against God's prayers in the book of Psalms and to be able to say, oh, so I have permission to say this, and I have permission to think this, and I have permission to pray this, and that's what the book is about. And so um, as, as you have noticed, what we've tried to do, because the book of Psalms is 150 chapters, it's impossible for us to cover every single one. So what we've mostly tried to do is hit some of the different types of Psalms. So there's a lot of different types of, of Psalms. They're doing different things. And the one that I wanted to, I, as, I've, as I've been in my own quiet time, as I've prayed, I've tried to incorporate the Psalms in my own prayers. And one of them just keeps coming up over and over and over again as I read the book of Psalms. And it's basically a story Psalm. Essentially what it does is, is it recites to the nation of Israel what their history is. And it makes it part of their prayer. So as they are praying through their regular services, but also in their daily prayer life, what they're doing is they're reciting the story of God inside of their prayers. And so I want to look at that this morning with you. Story is the central function of the human mind. It's what our brains do the most. Now, other than those things like, you know, make us breathe and beat our hearts and stuff like that. But it is the most conscious thing that our brain does, and that is to replay story over and over and over. You might be in here, you, you might say, Jeremy, I don't even have a great imagination, and I would say to you, that's not true. Your imagination is running all of the time. In fact, some of you would say in here, I can't even turn mine off. But story is constantly happening in our mind all day long. We're thinking of stories. We're remembering stories. We're anticipating stories. In fact, we turn everything in our life into a story in order to make sense out of life. We dream in story. We daydream in story. We remember. We anticipate. We hope, despair, believe, doubt, plan, revise, criticize, construct, 
gossip, learn, hate, and love all by story. Everything that you think goes through the filter of your imagination and is attached to a story. A good story can do what no other method can do. And at the end of the day, Scripture is this grand story. It's filled with all types of literature, but at the end of the day, it's a story. From the moment that it says, in the beginning God said, to the end where God said, all in between is this grand story. And it all points to the message of God's goodness and his plan of redemption for the entire universe. The shortest distance between you and truth is a story. That's why we love stories so much. That's why you watch the television and you read books and you watch movies is because we love stories. Whether it's fiction or nonfiction, we learn things about ourselves and we learn truth. Um, Several years ago, it's been quite a few years ago, um, I noticed that I was watching a lot of the TV channel AMC. Y'all ever watch AMC? Uh, I was watching AMC because there were three storylines that were happening, three, three shows that were going on. And the more I think about it, the more I think, this is crazy that these were the three most popular shows in the, in the nation at the time. One of them was a setting in 1940s, 1950s marketing up in New York City. A little show called Mad Men. You might have seen that. And then there was another show. This was crazy. This show was about a teacher who found out he had cancer. And I I can't explain this because it doesn't make sense, the leap that I'm about to make. But he found out he had cancer, so he started selling drugs. And a little show called Breaking Bad, you might have caught that. And then there was another show that came out. I don't even know how this worked, but they did like 11 seasons or 10 seasons. Like, that's a lot of seasons, right? And it was a little show set in the setting of a zombie apocalypse. You might have seen that before called The Walking Dead. But all three of these shows were going on, and they were the, the, when I think about it, they were the dumbest settings for anything. But what made them work and what made AMC the most popular cable channel in the history of America was the fact that they could spin a good yarn and they could tell a story. And it became uh, unbelievably popular. Story is the primary way in which God reveals truth. Now, in America, we would probably think that he would reveal truth by like these bullet points. God is this and he does this. But that's not the way that we learn who God is and what God does. The way we learn who God is and what God does is by our own experience of him or of someone telling us of their experience of him. And that's called a story. You and I experience God the most deeply inside of story. So everything that you believe, everything that's core to who you are is because of a story. So I believe, I'll tell you a few things. I believe that school teachers are for me and they're good and they want to see me succeed. And that's because I have a story of teachers that have done that for me. And so it's part of what I believe. I believe that baseball is the greatest sport ever invented in the history of the world, and that is because I have a story. I believe that backpacking, like going out, not, not in July, don't get me wrong, I'm not an idiot, but, but I, I believe that backpacking is the, one of the greatest ways to experience the presence of God that you can have strapping a 25, 30, 80-pound backpack to your back 
and walking through the woods with a bunch of other people is one of the, because I have a story. I believe that it's dumb. It's actually extremely dumb to drive 75 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour speed zone. I might have a story. I also believe that when you're feeding a goat at a petting zoo, you should feed it with a flat palm because if you hold your palm up like this, the goat is going to eat your fingers. And I might also have a story for that. I believe that a Broadway play or a Broadway musical is the most magical thing that you could ever experience when it comes to art because I have a story. When I was 15 years old, my cousin lived in Philadelphia, just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, they invited me to come up and spend a month with them. Uh, so I got to fly up. My cousin was 16 and I was 15. When I got there, they said, hey, what would you like to do while you're here? And I said, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I don't even know where I am. Like I was, I, was in, I, I was a country boy, southern boy from Alabama up in the city. And so they said, well, here's some things you can do. And they listed a bunch of stuff. We can go see a baseball game at the Veterans Stadium. Or we can go into Philadelphia and you can eat a Philly cheese steak sandwich. I was like, I definitely want to do that. They said, you can go to New York City. I didn't know New York City was close to Philadelphia. I didn't even know New York City was in America at the time. So I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. I would like to do that. That sounds fantastic. So they said, well, we'll make sure that that happens. And on the next to last day, before I was to leave, we had planned to go to New York City with my cousin Trey and his mom, my Aunt Sharon, and his dad, uh, his stepdad, my Uncle Terry. And I remember walking down, and I was so excited. I didn't know why, but I'd always heard New York City was amazing, and I, was, and I had seen some pictures and some movies and stuff, and I was like, I'm so excited to go. And I walked down, and my aunt was in her nightgown, and she was coughing, and, and she said, I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to be able to go to New York City today. And I was so sad. And I was like, man, if only. And she goes, so you guys have a good time. And I looked around, and you guys was me at 15 years old, and my cousin at 16 years old. It was us guys. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, yes, we'll just go to New York City, just me and my cousin Trey. And they put us on a train, and we went to New York City and spent the day in New York City, just me and my cousin. But we get there, and he says, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I don't know. I, what, what, what do you do in New York City? He says, well, we can, we can go to the Rockefeller Center. We can go tour NBC. We can go see where they do Saturday Night Live. We can go to Central Park. We can, he's naming all of these things. He said, we can go to a Broadway play. And I was like, what, what, what is that? He said, well, it's where, they do, it's where the professionals do plays. And I go, okay. Well, maybe we should do that. He goes, okay. So he goes and buys tickets to a little show by Neil Simon called Lost in Yonkers, and it's a play. And we walk in, we sit down, and it is a building that actually is a little bit smaller than this, where every seat, I mean, there's like 600 seats total, and every seat feels like you're right next to the stage, and they start acting. And within a few minutes, maybe 30 minutes into the thing, I just remember this conscious thought, go, and I went, oh, so that's what this is. So that's what it means to go see like a professional do art. And it was one of the most magical experiences I've ever had in my whole life. It just was, it was, it was amazing. And the reason I think that plays and theater and art are magical is because I have a story. Everything that you believe is because of a story. And story is not just informational but it's formational. Stories shape who you are and who you will become. 
the things that you experience, the stories that you hear, the stories that you believe cause you to become, shape who you are as a person, and that's what you live into. And that's why story is so important. In fact, I like to tell people this, if you don't like God, if you have a problem with God, it's probably because your story's wrong. You've probably got a wrong story. You probably have lived or experienced, you've probably read or seen a story that's not exactly who God is. So this morning, I'd like to look at the book of Psalms, and I want to look at Psalm 78 in just a second, because the book of Psalms um, is filled with all of these different types of prayers, but this one has captured my attention the most over this summer as I've been, as I've been studying and reading and following along, and that's because what it does is it tells a story. Now, Psalm 78 is not the only one that does it. Stories actually show up a lot during the book of Psalms. And so the question we have to ask is, why is God putting a story inside of a prayer? And that's what I want to look at today is the power of story inside of our prayers and the power of story inside of our testimony. If you look with me in Psalm chapter 78, it says this, listen, dear friends, to God's truth. Bend your ears to what I tell you. I'm chewing on the morsel of a proverb, and I'll let you in on the sweet old truths, stories that we've heard from our fathers, counsel that we learned at our mother's knee. We're not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation, God's fame and God's fortune, the marvelous things that he's done. He planted a witness in Jacob. He set his word firmly in Israel, then commanded our parents to teach it to their children. So the next generation would know, and all the generations to come. Know the truth and tell the story so their children can trust in God. Never forget the works of God, but keep his commands to the letter. Heaven forbid that they should be like their parents, bullheaded and bad, a fickle and faithless bunch who never stayed true to God. I want to give you two thoughts this morning, and the first one is this. We don't just tell the story but the story tells us. The story reveals who we are. Think about it. If, I, if God is at the center of my story, if God is at the center of the story, if God is at the center of the story of the entire universe, then what it does is it tells me who I am. Where do I belong? Well, not at the center. How do I belong? Because God created me. Why do I belong? Because God loved me so much, he loved me first, he created me. And when do I belong? Not at the beginning of the story and not at the end of the story. I make a small appearance in some little fraction of the middle, and I'm here for a moment and then I'm gone. But the story continues. It has always been and it will always be, and I'm just a fraction of that story. I learn who I am by seeing where and how and when and why I am. But God is the constant in the story. God doesn't show up to our story. We show up to his. Look with me in Psalm chapter 78, verse 10, as we continue. They forgot what he had done. Now we get into the story. Marvels that he'd done right before their eyes. He performed miracles in plain sight of their parents in Egypt and out of the fields of Zoan. 
He split the sea and they walked right through it. He piled the waters to the right and the left. He led them by day with a cloud. He led them all the night long with a fiery torch. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them all they could drink from underground springs. He made creeks flow out from sheer rock and water pour out like a river. If you'll notice, what's happening is the psalmist is reciting the stories of Israel. The story of when they escaped from Egypt as they were slaves. The story is God split open the Red Sea, the sea, and they walked across on dry land. The story of how Moses took a staff and cracked it against a rock and water poured out of it and God provided. He did these things. The idea that God entered our story is not good for us. It's typical, but it's not good for us. You know, I have a, uh, there's a song we sing here that I have a love-hate relationship with. Um, songs, just like story, are formational. And what we sing tends to be what we believe. And so I have this love-hate relationship with this song because I love it. It's a song called When, he Walked into, when You Walk Into a Room. You might, you might remember. When you walk into a room, everything changes. I love the song because I think it's fantastic that there are these moments that we experience God in tangible and real and, and palpable ways. There are these moments that life is moving and going and, and, and all of a sudden it feels like God has just arrived, right? It feels like God has just showed up. You, if you've been around here at any, at any amount of time, there's probably been a moment where everything felt normal, everything felt like it does, whether it's Monday through Friday or Sunday morning, it felt normal, and then something happened and you felt different. Have you experienced that before? You've been in this room, or you've been in a Sunday school classroom, or a small group room, or you've been over in the youth room, or the kids room, and something happens and you go, oh, this moment's different. God is here. So I love that idea because there, are the, there is this reality that it feels like something, something bigger or more sacred or something's happening in a moment. So I love that. But on the other hand, I hate that. Because God doesn't like walk into a room. God's everywhere. Have you been paying attention to the James Webb telescope pictures that have been coming in? I was looking at those this week and just, I, I can't get my brain wrapped around it because they're just, it's just enormous. I remember the very first picture, did you see it, that came in? It, it was, they said basically what it was, the, the periphery was, that if it was like holding a grain of sand out from your body like this, and that's what the picture it had captured, and the telescope had captured five galaxies in that one picture. Five galaxies. Did y'all see this? If you haven't seen it, you have, to, you, have to, you have to follow NASA because if you want your mind blown, you have to follow NASA. So I was looking at it and I was thinking, like God, God did that. Like five galaxies. You know how big a galaxy is, right? They say galaxies, are, galaxies have um, somewhere between 100 and 300 billion stars in one single galaxy. You and I are in a galaxy. We just so happen to be in a solar system and we're in one of those planets inside of our solar system and we have one star. Earth and Mars and Jupiter and, and the other planets. Uh, we have one star, a galaxy's like a hundred billion stars, and in this grain, this picture that took it was like, that's five galaxies. And there are somewhere between 100 and 500 billion galaxies. And get this, no surprise, the universe is expanding every moment. It's just exploding because God is not just a creator one time, God is a creator. 
He doesn't stop creating. He's never stopped creating. And so I, I, I have this idea in my mind when you walk into the room and I'm like, God doesn't walk into a room. God fills every space in the universe. God is everywhere all of the time, all of the time in past and present and future. He fills it all. But the song sometimes makes us think that like we're here and we start doing something that God says, ooh, I want in on that, and he comes in. And that's not what church is at all. That's not what we do. We don't start anything. We don't end anything. We join in an eternal anthem, chorus. We join in with angels that have sung for eternity. Glory to God in the highest. Glory and honor, blessing and power be to our God. We join in on that. God doesn't walk into a room. We join in on God's story. The second thought is this this morning. And that is, we can't leave out the dark chapters of the story. We can't leave the dark chapters out of the story. The story of Scripture, if you've read it, you'll notice very quickly that God has no problem airing out the dirty laundry. It's full-throated. It's no-holds-barred. It's a description of the life of following God. There are no perfect characters in Scripture except Jesus. They are all flawed, all of them. Listen to this. Adam, the betrayer, Abraham, the liar, Moses, the murderer, Jacob, the deceiver, David, the adulterer, Peter, the denier, Paul, the persecutor. Like, they're all broken. They're all messed up. It's in the book, and there are no places to hide. Look with me at Psalm chapter 78, verse 17. All they did was sin even more. Rebel in the desert against the high God. They tried to get their own way with God. They clamored for special favors, for special attention. They whined like spoiled children. Why can't God give us a decent meal in this desert? Sure, he struck the rock and water flowed. Creeks cascaded from the rock. But how about some fresh baked bread? And how about a nice cut of, cut of meat? Why does God want Israel's repeating the dark parts? Why is God concerned with putting all of the the dark stuff in Scripture. Why is that important to God? And why is He want us in our prayer time repeating the dark parts of our story? Because there's only one way to tell the story of amazing grace. You have to also tell the story of undeniable hypocrisy, of astonishing backsliding, and staggering God-forsakenness. There's nothing amazing about grace that hides the secrets that you're unwilling to place at the feet of a merciful God. Amazing grace is only amazing, and it's only grace because there's something that God had to save us from. There's something that God had to rescue us from. And God wants us to repeat it to ourselves in our prayer, and he wants us to pass it on to the next generation. He wants us to tell the story of who we were and what happened when God rescued us. He wants us to repeat the story of what we did, 
not to glorify those things, but to be able to show the heavy weight of the price that was paid and the enormous gift of grace that is available to every person in this room. There is no person so dark. There is no sin so great that God says, whoa, 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 whoa. I know I told you to tell some of these stories, but you hide that one. You keep that one. Because amazing grace says that he'll receive you as you are and change you forever. When I was uh, 15 years old, my, um, my, my parents, a few years before, had come to us. We grew up in Hueytown. And my parents came to us a few, few years before and said, hey, we feel like God's called us to the ministry. My, my parents were in their mid-30s. It's not the typical time that you start pastoring, but they said, hey, we, we feel like God's called us to ministry. So dad went down to Bible college. Uh, they both worked hard. We came back, and we lived in this 600-square-foot garage apartment. There were four of us kids. It was one bedroom, one living room, a little kitchenette, and one bathroom. The thing that I remember the most about the bathroom was the shower head was basically a pressure washer. Like you just had to get in there and just kind of just kind of tiptoe around and just be like, okay, I got that. All right, here's this. So it was, I, I remember that the most. Uh, it, it, it was 600 square feet and there were six of us, which basically meant each one of us had, had 100 feet. But that's not how things go when you're a kid. Parents had about 550 square feet and then the rest of us were over here. I remember my brother Adam and I slept in bunk beds and then my brother Joel and Katie, they slept in a pull-out couch that doubled as their bed and our living room. And so that's where we stayed. We were there for nine months. My parents went and uh, we all went up one day to Huntsville um, and my dad was going to what was called try out for a church. You guys probably don't, if you've been at Kingwood for a little while, you, don't, you really don't know what try out is. We hadn't had anybody try out in this church for 48 years. Um, Ron, my father-in-law, Ron, was pastor for 35 years, and Jay's been here for 13 years. And like, you're like, y'all don't, so what happens, I'll just let you in on, a, on an odd little secret. When you're, try, when, you're, when, you're, when you're candidating for a church, you go try out at the church. And to try out means whatever you think your gift is, you do that. So if you try out to be the music pastor, I didn't try out to be the music pastor. I am the music pastor. I was, I was appointed the music pastor. Like they said, nobody else wants to do it, you're it. So I was like, all right, I'll be that guy. So, um, so, I, uh, so what happens is, is you go and you, and, you, and, and you preach. So we went up, and, and I, you have to understand this. As a kid, I'm just old enough to realize the importance of this moment. Like, we're going to go up, and they're going to interview my parents. We're going to go out to eat. My parents had threatened us. They're like, the way that you normally act at meals, do the exact opposite all of the time. Do not, don't talk. Keep, like, wipe your mouth once in a while. Just like, they're just trying to prepare us for this. And so we go out to eat. And then the other thing is my dad's supposed to preach, because in, in pastoring, that tends to be a decent amount of what you do is you preach. And so dad was going to preach Sunday morning, and I I remember he preached a sermon. And I remember being so scared. My palms are sweaty because I, I felt the enormity of the, of the moment. I was like, man, he's preaching. And if they like the sermon, they're probably going to vote him in. If it's a lousy sermon, like if he shoots a brick, if he doesn't do well, if this isn't one of the better ones, we're going back to the 600-square-foot garage apartment and the pressure wash shower head. Like, I, this is important. Like, maybe we can get a house. Like, maybe I'll have a bedroom. Dad, you got to preach good. And I remember the sermon was good, but I don't remember nothing about it. I just remember like, oh, that was good. I think maybe that'll, I don't know what they're looking for, but like I laughed a couple times and I felt goosebumps. Maybe that's it. So he was supposed to preach Sunday morning 
And then he was supposed to preach Sunday night. So dad gets up on Sunday night, and uh, he did something so stupid. My dad gets up, and he says to the church, you guys are going to vote for me when I finish this sermon. By the way, that's what they do. I told you, 48 years, you guys don't even know what that, but you vote on these. Like you go, all right, I liked them, yes or no. It's like a, it's like a, a, a presidential race or something. I don't know. So, so, we, so dad says, you guys are going to vote on me to be your pastor when I finish this sermon. So he was going to preach, and then we were going to all be sequestered in a room. Like we were going to go into the Sistine Chapel where they picked out who was going to be the next pope. So, they, so we all get sequestered, and, and, uh, and they're going to vote. And this is what he says. You, you, you're going to vote on me to be your pastor. So I want to make sure that you know who I really am. And I'm going to tell you my story. And I went, oh. We're going back to the pressure wash shower. Because my dad didn't give his heart to Jesus until he was a young adult. And uh, he, he, he didn't, he just, he just was wayward for a little while. And I was like, well, maybe he'll leave some of that stuff out. And he didn't. I remember a lot of it. I remember as my dad stood up there and he, and he said, he said, this is, this is, this is who I used to be. I did this, and I did this. He didn't glorify sin in any way, but he set up amazing grace. And he said, that's who I used to be. And God saved my soul, and I'm called to pastor, and I know it as much as I've ever known anything. And if you want me, this is who I am. And he didn't hire, I mean, he didn't hide the dark chapters because it's the dark chapters that, round, that make us human. It's the dark chapters that make us real. It's the dark chapters that make us a candidate for amazing grace. You can't hide the dark chapters of your story. Your coworker needs to hear it. Your waitress needs to hear it. Your kids need to hear it. You can't hide from the dark chapters because if, you'll, if you hide from the dark chapters, then we never get to experience or hear about amazing grace. You have to tell your story. You gotta let, you gotta let us in on your story because God said it was so important that I'm gonna make it part of our prayers to recite the story of who I was and now who I am. You might be wondering what that looks like, and so if you will give me a moment, I'm going to talk to my kids for just a minute. Three of my four kids are in the room, but all of my kids that can understand the words that come out of my mouth are here in this room right now. I have three teenagers and a, and a nine-month-old, and it just so happens, uh, and this season of our life, the nine-month-old is the easiest one to uh, parent right now, so... I, uh, I invited my parents to be here this morning, so they're here. And uh, Tiffany's mom and dad, my, my first father-in-law and mother-in-law, uh, are here. 
And Hannah's parents were going to be here, and they sent me a picture of a positive COVID test this morning. And I said, yeah, don't come. That would be bad. Don't, don't show up. So they're online right now. So Mark and Sherry are here also. And I want to talk to my kids just for a moment. So I got two here and another one somewhere. I think he's in the back. Oh, he's playing guitar. He's playing guitar this morning, so he's in the back. But I want to, you'll have to, you'll have to bear with me. I, I might tear up a little bit because this is an important moment of me sharing part of our story. There he is. Hey, now that you've made a grand entrance, I'd like for you to come all the way down here. Just come on. Braden, Braden Daniel Sims. He was like, there's no way he's talking to me right now. Yes, Braden Daniel Sims, born January the 3rd, 2008. Keep on coming, buddy. Keep on coming. That's what you get for having to go to the bathroom, having to go to the bathroom in the middle of my sermon. Like, I'm up, like I was preaching, and, I was, I was, and, and he was like, I've heard everything you have to say. No, you haven't. Why don't you do me a favor and go sit over here by your sisters? Yeah. This is the walk of shame. Could be the walk of fame. If only you had just been where you were supposed to be, none of this would have happened. But here, I don't know why you're talking back. That's the issue with teenagers. The problem is, is I have a microphone and you don't. I wish that worked that way in the house. I wish I could just get on a megaphone and be like, listen to what I say, and my kids couldn't talk. I just put, anyway. My earliest memories of my life are, my earliest memories of my life are filled with experiences with church, all of them. I gave my heart to Jesus at a Royal Rangers powwow. For those of you that remember Royal Rangers, I knelt down at a log that was doubling that night as an altar, and I was on one side, and my dad was on the other one. I was filled with the Holy Spirit during a camp meeting that my mom drug us to for two solid weeks during July summer. All that means to a kid who's 11 years old is I have to come in and shower before the sun's gone down. And one night there was a man named R.W. Shambach. All of you old, old timers maybe know who he is. Was speaking at Garywood. And I never will forget, he preached on the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I went, oh, I want that. And he said, come back tomorrow night. And we're going to pray. And I went, I'll be here. Mom already said we're coming every single night. There's no, like, I'll be here. And I sat on the front row. And I don't remember what he preached about that. But I still remember. He said, come down front. And I walked to the front. And I stood right there and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was called to ministry on a hot and sweaty concrete floor at summer camp. Crying out, saying, God, whatever you want, I'll do. And I heard him say, hey, why don't you go be a youth pastor? I think it was God, but if it wasn't, I am very stubborn. That was 1994, and I've been doing this for 24 years. I met your mom at preacher's kids camp, PK camp. That's a thing. That's a thing. If you're a preacher's kid, you realize why we need our own camp. It's like extra supervision or something. I dedicated every one of my four children right here on this stage. I've served under five pastors, and three of them are in the room right now. My dad, Ron, and Jay. 
I've watched my children. I've watched each one of you find and experience Jesus in this, in this space, in this room, and in that room, and in that room, and in the bayou, the bayou. We had your mom's funeral right here. I met your stepmom and married her right here. The church of Jesus Christ has been so good to us. If you're paying any attention to the Facebook right now or to social media, the church is getting beat up. Some of the stories rightfully so, but I want you to know the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus, has been, has been so good to us. I discovered my, my calling here. I found my family here. I'm prayed for here. I'm supported here. I'm loved here. The church has been good to us. You know, you know your grandparents much better than I know mine. All, you have seven grandparents. One of them is in heaven and six of them are here. Four here, two of them online. And uh, they say that uh, you rarely know much about your great-grandparents, like, like, you, like you're one generation away from your story, and that's why it's so important that we pass our story down. Because grandparents set so much of who we are. They, 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 they build routines and habits and move places and live places and set a tone or a belief system for our lives that literally form us into who we're going to be. And your grandparents have formed us and who we are more than any other person on the planet. And they're sitting here today. And they all made a decision to follow Jesus, all seven of them, by the time they were young adults. Every one of them. And because of the decision they made to follow Jesus, I made a decision earlier and you made a decision earlier. And we followed Jesus because of the decision they made early. It was a hard one. It was a hard one for some of them. But they had to experience amazing grace. You know, one of the things that we do with our story is we kind of, we, if we reflect and we think about it, we notice these threads that are there. And I noticed a couple of threads that I thought was pretty interesting. One of the greatest things that you're ever going to learn to hear from them and from your story is how to hear the voice of God. Do you know, I, I, I was thinking about this, they might not even know this, but do you know that all three of your grandfathers, all three of them, all went to Southeastern Bible College? Every one of them. They all went there, which means that at some point in their young life, they heard God say, it's time to go and follow a call, which means I think one of the greatest questions we can ever ask is how, how do I hear God's voice? How do I know how to hear God? How do I know when he's speaking to me? How do I know when he's leading to me? What if I hear him say something that sounds a little bit outlandish? And all I want you to know is, there they are. Ask them. There they are. Ask them how to hear God's voice. They heard God say, go. And they went. All different reasons. And they went. All four of your grandmothers. All four of your grandmothers grew up 
in a time, they, they came to church in a time where the culture of leadership was mostly male-dominated, like men-led. That was the, that was the, but they have been a part of the transition, they've been a part of the transition to see females move into leadership. And they've all served in leadership roles. So they've all been in support roles, and they've all been in leadership roles. And so you might be saying, Addison, I heard you ask at Beach Freak. There was a class that happened at Beach Freak, and we had uh, one of our female leaders was leading it, and she did question and answer. And Addison, you said, how do I know if I'm supposed to be in leadership? Because often it seems like that I'm not supposed to be because of what I see in front of me. And what I want you to know is you can ask them. They're right here. They know what it's like to hear God say support, and they know what it's like to hear God say lead. They're here. That's what telling the story sounds like. You tie these threads together of things that are seemingly coincidental from the outside, and as you put them together, you go, wait a minute, that's not by accident that that happened. It's not by accident as I go through these ways that the church has been so good to us. We needed the church. We needed you. And you have been so good to us. It's not by accident. But you've got to tell the story. It's part of your prayer. It's part of your testimony. And Revelation chapter 6 says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their story. The word of their story. That's how you overcome this crazy world we live in right now. Your coworker needs to hear your story. Your waitress needs to hear your story. Your kids need to hear your story. The world needs to hear your story. Facebook needs to hear your story. Stop clogging it up with stuff. It's, it's your story. That's what, like, you've got the greatest mouthpiece in the history of the world to share your story. You don't have to tell us how much you hate the president or, or love the president or like the old one. We don't need any of that. What we need is your story. We need your story. None of us need to know what the gas price is today. We're all filling up our tank. We need the story. Tell the story. Tell the dark chapters and tell the amazing grace. Tell the story. The Psalms are filled with the story of the nation of Israel as they went up and down and up and down and God stayed steadfast. He was merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And that's your story too because we all do this. We all go up and down and God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Tell that story. That's the story. I'd like to invite you to stand with me this morning. And I've asked our team to sing an oldie. Not because I am, I'm very young. But I've asked our team to sing an oldie that might just say, this is my story. Can I pray for you this morning? Today, Jesus, this room is filled with stories. Stories of waywardness story of blaspheming, stories of God-forsakenness, stories of backsliding, stories of sin, and stories of celebrating sin. But God, you came with much more grace, and this room is filled with amazing grace. 
There's not a person in this room that hasn't experienced your amazing grace or that can experience your amazing grace. It is available today the same as it has always been available. You offer grace at no cost. Just receive. Today, would you entice us and incite us to tell our story?